Boker Tov, good morning. Welcome everybody to the Aliyah Day. This is the third uh, Aliyah of Parashah Noach. I am glad to be with you, all of you precious souls who are with me this morning. Welcome, Shalom Aleichem, Boker Tov, Buenos Dias, Guten Tag, all of you for who's watching from around the world. Across the Fruited Plain and around the world. Baruch Hashem. Good to be with you this morning. We're going to be uh, diving into uh, the story of the Ark and entering the Ark. Looking at the third Aliyah. The third Aliyah is officially chapter 7, beginning in verse 17, through chapter 8 and verse 14. That is the actual third Aliyah of Parasha Noah. Before we begin, I want to share an insight with you. That the Rebbe and I, as many of you know, we have um, a devotional time every morning. It's been wonderful. We spend that time studying the words of uh, our rabbi uh, as we are uh, learning and gleaning and so on. But there's, it was a really great insight. I want to share it with you because it's important for, uh, I think, all of us to remember. Something that the that Hashem has been... Uh, speaking to the Rebbe Tzinebalt, and that is taking one day at a time. It's really been on her heart uh, to take one day at a time and to put into practice the words of Yeshua HaMashiach, who uh, says, you know, not to worry about tomorrow. You know, tomorrow has enough trouble of its own. Don't worry about it. Just focus on today. So taking one day at a time. But the insight had to do with uh, someone who was uh, had been overcoming um, uh, alcoholism and this person was saying that every day they ask Hashem to help them overcome the temptation to be an alcoholic to, to remain sober basically and then when they go to bed at night they thank Hashem for keeping them sober that day and then of course this process repeats itself the next day, Hashem should help me to be sober. I go to bed and thank God. Now, this is very important because we need to be sure and take the day, each day as uh, at a time. If Hashem has rescued you today, if you're healthy and whole and uh, your enemies have not overtaken you or whatever, then we need to thank God. First of all, we need to ask God to, re to save us because the sages talk about the Yetzirah. The Yetzirah which is the evil inclination, the Yetzirah renews its assault against us every single day. Unfortunately, ladies and gentlemen, the fight never ends. Some people think, when will this fight ever end? When will I have tranquility and peace? Now, on, the, on the one hand, you'll never have tranquility and peace because that's just the nature of life. On the other hand, I will say that as we get older and, and, we, and we gain the victory, uh, those struggles seemingly get a little bit less because the Yetzirah doesn't have so much to fight against us. But nevertheless, the Yetzirah fights against us. Every day he renews his battle. So therefore, we should ask Hashem to help us in our daily battle. And then when he does help us, we give him thanks. So we go to bed at night and say, Thank you, Hashem, for rescuing me today, for saving me today, for keeping me alive and healthy today, for not allowing my enemies, whoever they are, whatever they are, from having the victory over me today. And so that's number one. We, we should live each day according to what God has given us. But the other part of it was really, really wonderful. So the, uh, uh, this person was talking to another 
uh, patient who deals with alcoholism. And the patients, the younger one said to the older one, the more experienced one, how do you know it was God who saved you today? How do you know it was Hashem who saved you? How do you know it was Hashem who kept you sober, sober today? And the answer was such wisdom and such simplicity and such imuna and such bitakon like that of a little child. The, the more experienced patient said, that's a foolish question. I didn't ask anybody else for help. <laughs> See, when we understand that Hashem is the only one, ain old novado, there's nothing but Hashem. When we understand that our uh, our bitakon is in Him and Him alone, not in ourselves, not in other people, not in circumstances, not in schemes or situations, but when we say it's only God, so we say, God, only you can help me today, so please rescue me from my enemies, rescue me from my foes. Therefore, when we are rescued, when we have the victory, we give Hashem credit. Why? Because He's the only one we asked for help. So therefore, it can be only He who saved us. Isn't that beautiful? Uh, Shoshana Brenner asked which book. That particular insight, I don't know which book it was. We actually read four of Rabbi uh, Tversky's books. We, we read from four of them every morning. Uh, so I, I don't know. Maybe Rebetzin can find out and, and tell you specifically. But anyway, that is a uh, wonderful, wonderful thing to say. So I want to go back and look at some in insights here. There is, um, looking back at the end of the second Aliyah, there is something i like to point out. And uh, yes, here it is, here it is, here it is. I always like to point out that um, a couple of things here that I don't want to leave behind. I'm just making sure that I have, pardon, pardon the pause here, I'm just making sure that I have the right uh, insight here. So we talked about yesterday that Noach was an Ishadik Tamim. He was a righteous man, a completely righteous man. However, he, he did have one seemingly fundamental flaw that distinguished him from Avraham and Sarah and made him seemingly not as righteous as he could have been. Now, to judge favorably, remember that, that Noah lived a very long time. In fact, we said yesterday that Abraham was 58 years old when Noah died. So we, presume, we, we must presume that to judge favorably that Noah made tshuva for what I'm about to say, and in his latter years, he did not have the same uh, character flaw. But it talks about here in chapter 6 and verse 13, it says, Vayomer Elohim lenoach. Actually, Elohim, it uses the word Elohim, like um, uh, Elohim is the name of God's strict justice. Vayomer Elohim, as opposed to the Yudke Vavke, which is the divine name which in, implies mercy. 
Interestingly, when it, when it comes to God's attributes, the name Elohim is not used. Why? Because Elohim is about strict justice. And with built into God, remember we talked about God's attributes and his character yesterday. That God, built into God's attributes, his glory, is not strict justice. We as human beings want everybody to be judged by strict justice. We see somebody do something wrong, we want strict justice. We see them, they, 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 they uh, upset us, used us, uh, did not meet our expectations, strict justice. On ourselves, we want abundant mercy, but upon others, we want strict justice. It's really a shame. But God doesn't use the name Elohim in his attributes. Why? Because God's whole being is mercy, mercy, mercy. Now, is he a God of justice? Absolutely. But his justice is always, when it comes to judging mankind, tempered with mercy. Especially, obviously, when we make tshuva. So it says here, Vayomer Elohim Lenoach. When God, or Hashem, or Elo, excuse me, Elohim, said to Noach, Ketz ko basar bo. The end of all flesh, le, lefanai, has come before me. Ki hamas. For the whole earth is filled with hamas. The word hamas means robbery. Isn't that interesting? There is an Islamic terrorism group, a big one, in Gaza named Hamas. Isn't it interesting that the word Hamas means robbery, but it's really a base kind of robbery. It's not just robbery, but it's really a really bad type of robbery. Anyway, Ki malacha ha'aretz Hamas, Mifnechem, Mifnechem behineni mashkitetam, and through, the, through them, and behold, about I'm about to destroy Maschitam Etzaaretz. I'm about to destroy the entire earth from before them. Now, it says here in the insights that Noach goes on to say, or he, he tells us, uh, Noach rather, to make an ark. But it says Noach was unmoved by this decree, and this is this is where we can take a lesson. From a seeming fault of Noah. Remember again, Noah is an Ish Zadik Tamim. He is a completely righteous man, but it doesn't mean he's not human. He, uh, we are all human, and we can be righteous, and at the same time, we can have flaws that we need to work on. And this was one of the flaws, evidently, of Noah. Noah was unmoved by God's decree. Instead of begging for mercy on behalf of the world, Noah asked God what would become of him. Scripture therefore rightly calls the flood waters calls this event the flood waters of Noah from Isaiah 54:9. In other words, Noah bears some responsibility for this destruction. Why? Because he didn't intercede for his generation. Remember that when God told Abraham that he was going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah, that Avraham's uh, actually rather brazenly approached Hashem and begged for mercy uh, on Sodom and Gomorrah. And we know the story from 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 what fifty to ten or something. Uh, right, if it was fifty to ten righteous in the city, right? And he he begged for mercy. But Noah did not beg for mercy. This is the this is the lesson. 
Noah, when he heard that God was going to destroy the earth, Noah was like, okay, but what about me and my family? All right, you and the ark. Okay, great. But he didn't intercede. He did not intercede for the people. He didn't say, Hashem, please don't. Please give them another chance. Please save them. Hashem, if there's 10 righteous, would you please spare the world? Because remember, it wasn't just about the men, the people. It was about the animals. Now, the animals, too, according to the insights, had corrupted, them, corrupted themselves as well. There was intermating going on between species and all of that. It was very... Uh, even the earth it was talked about, uh, and, and, the, and the Torah alludes to the fact that even the earth itself had become corrupted. You would plant, as one uh, commentator said, you would, you would plant wheat seeds, and instead thorns and thistles would sprout up. Even the earth had corrupted itself. So everything was corrupted, but the point is that Noah did not intercede. It says... Uh, they are attributed to him because once he was assured of his own survival in the ark, he did not seek mercy for the world. Now, this is a particularly relevant uh, insight for us, ladies and gentlemen, because we live in an era in which we see such gross evil and wickedness and debauchery. We see um, all of the, uh, I mean, just very base things, right? And it's very easy for us to get callous in our hearts and to say, you know what, Hashem, these people don't care. They don't care about you. They are just so wicked it's just so bad. Nobody gives uh, any care whatsoever. So, you know what? Just get us out of here. Uh, you know, not necessarily get us out of here, literally, but, but basically protect us or whatever and, and, and just clean house. That's the attitude of Noah. But we're not supposed to be emulating Noah, which is why Noah is not the father of our faith. The father of our faith is not Noah. The father of our faith is who? Avraham. What was Avraham's heart? Avraham's heart was he wanted to see people get saved. What does it mean to get saved? Does getting saved mean when you die, you don't go to hell? That's not what getting saved means. That's a part of it, but it's not what it means. What getting saved means is coming into covenant, coming under the wings of the Shekinah, coming into relationship with the living God. Now, relationship does not mean what a lot of Greeks, a.k.a. Americans, think it means. The relationship doesn't mean I get, to, I get to come up with the terms of the relationship. To a lot of us, when we say that we have a, re, a, a relationship with God, what that real, and I was in air quotes for you on the podcast, what that really means is I get to call the shots. <laughs> that's, that's code for I get to do it my way, baby. Um, and whatever he wants me to do, whatever the Bible says for me to do, which is what he tells me to do, I can pick or choose those and slough, slough them off if I don't want to. Why? Because I have a relationship, not religion. Right? Right. It's in other words, it's selfish based. It's all selfishness based. Um, so 
in reality, what we need is to be brought into covenant. And when you, somebody is bought, brought into covenant, there is a word that, that is inherent in covenant which escapes people who are living in the, the slippery slope of relationship. Again, air quotes for the podcast. Uh, what is that one word that escapes us? Let's see. It start. Let me give you a clue. It sounds like, or it starts with an R. Responsibility. There it is. We have a responsibility to Hashem. We have benefits, right? And we have blessings, yes. And we have responsibilities. Okay. Shoshana Brenner just said, a servant does not tell the master what to do. That's true. Now, a servant has responsibilities. There's a trade-off here. If you're somebody's servant, a lot of times you get to live in the servant's quarters. Now, if, you're, if your owner is a multi-billionaire, odds are your servant's quarters are going to be pretty nice. The servant gets to eat the food that the master provides, right? So presuming, again, that the master is a multi-billionaire, odds are he's going to provide for himself, uh, you know, prime rib and the, the best of the best, most likely, the best wine and so on. Most likely, the master is going to shop for clothing at the best places, which you're going to benefit from that. So you're, you get all the benefits. As a servant, you get all these benefits because you may not own the mansion, but you get to live there. You may not own the food, but you get to eat it. You may not be the one who purchases the wine, but you get to drink it. But the trade-off is, as a servant, in order to enjoy those benefits, you have to do what? Serve. That's the, that's the thing. See, a lot of people want the benefits, but they don't want to serve. That's, that's socialism. We want all of the benefits of wealth which no socialistic country has. We want the benefits of wealth, but we don't want to do anything to, to earn the wealth. And that's not, ladies and gentlemen, living in covenant. So Abraham wanted people to live in covenant. He wanted people to come into covenant. Noah didn't really care. All he wanted was his family on the ark. And ladies and gentlemen, that is a very, very, very easy thing for us to slip into. We really don't care. Okay, yeah, the door is open. If you want to come into the ark, fine. If you want to, you know, if we're going to tell you we're going to be inside the ark telling you through the window, you might want to get in here. It's starting to rain, but we're not going to really go out there and really make any real effort to bring you in. That's not Abraham. And how did Abraham bring people in? He brought them in primarily by inviting them to sit down and eat, and he served them. He provided them a meal. In other words, he loved them. He loved them into the covenant and introduced them to Kakadosh Baruchu, to the Holy and Blessed Be He, in a very positive way. What's the lesson for us? The lesson for us really is obvious that we really need to guard against us becoming callous to people and somehow finding a way to encourage them to enter into the covenant. To be kind. To invite people to uh, our holidays. To invite people to an Arab Shabbat. 
to invite them, to invite them to synagogue, right? Invite them and compel them, encourage them. We would love for you to come. We want you to come. You're, it's all about you being there. We need to have people that uh, are eager for people to enter into covenant, like our father Abraham, that would, when he saw, uh, as we know from the story of Ayerim, when he was, after his bris malah, he's being visited by Hashem and the angels, and he basically sees people walk by, and he tells Hashem, hey, can, can you stop for, excuse me, one moment, I need to go and tend to these people who are walking by. That's how important it was to him. There's another insight here, just a couple of quick ones um, left behind from uh, the second Aliyah. Turei Za'av answers that the command to Noah to build the ark was meant to symbolize that henceforth Noah would be under a separate roof. This is an insight that links the ark to Pesach. Noah would be under a separate roof and therefore no longer a part of the corrupt society that was doomed to total destruction. An ark was chosen as the method of saving Noah because as a house, quote-unquote, the ark had the same property of protection against the angel of death that was expressed in the direct direction given to, by Moses of the children of Israel to enter into their homes on Erev Pesach. So in other words, we have the Ark here is actually, interestingly, linked to Pesach. It is linked to us entering in. Now, why is that the case? Well, we go from there to another insight that is brought down by, by the Baal Shem Tov. The Baal Shem Tov brings down that the word for Ark is Teva, which also means word, which is a really, really important insight. So when we enter into the word, enter into the ark, rather, we're actually literally entering into the word of Hashem. And interestingly, when it comes to the fact of the, of the animals coming into the ark, it wasn't so much Noah who was making the... Uh, uh, the, who, who was doing the choosing. Rather, it was the Ark itself. So if we look again at an insight here, getting a little bit closer to the third Aliyah, chapter 7, it says, Yavou elecha lehahayot. They shall, they shall come to you to keep alive. It says, they shall come, that is, of their own accord. He led the past the ark. The ark accepted those which had not been the object of sin. Let's talk about the animals. And them Noah permitted to enter. The ark rejected the others who had been the object of sin. Then Noah turned away. This is from Sanhedrin 108b. And also Zevakim 116a. Rashi and Gur, and Gur Arya excuse me, uh, comment on this. So, in other words, it's the ark here, according to the ancient commentaries, is actually personified. The ark is doing the choosing. Now, this also goes along with another insight that talks about the fact that the ark helped build itself. 
In other words, the Ark of Noah wasn't just an inanimate object. It actually was personified. It helped build itself. Um, it chose which animals, and eventually it would close its own door. Now, why is this important? Because the Ark, the word Ark, Teva, also means word. So here we have the word of God doing the judging. The word of God doing the building. The word of God is animated here. In other words, we're talking here about a type of Mashiach. Because Mashiach is, of course, the word of God. The word of God is the Holy Torah. Now, another insight here. Some of you have heard of the book of Yasher. And I have the book of Yasher. I've had it for many, many years. I've, I've read pretty much all of it. It's actually an excellent, excellent work. Some people wonder if, uh, if the book of Yasher is legitimate, if it's a proper Jewish source. The answer, of course, is yes. It's actually quoted by Jewish commentators. And uh, this is an example of that. So a, a practical question is, uh, when it started to rain, particularly, and it looked as if the judgment was going to really come to pass, what would prevent mankind from storming the ark? And in fact, Rebetzin was telling me that one time she was in Branson and went to a uh, some place where they have an ark exhibit or whatever. They have sounds playing like thunder and lightning, and and there's there are sounds of people seemingly banging on the on the sides of the ark begging to be let in and so on but in reality if that were the case you know how human beings are they would have tried to basically destroy the ark or or, or tear open the doors or something so how do you prevent people from doing that well Interestingly, the book of Yasher brings down, it says here, and this is quoted actually in the art school commentary that I'm looking at, from Sefer HaYashar, it says, On the day that God caused the whole earth to shake, because understand it wasn't just rain, the scripture says the fountains of the deep burst forth. Um, and so, uh, the, basically you had water shooting up from the uh, from the from the earth, and then you had, of course, water raining down from the skies. It was in the this would have caused like an earthquake, uh, a worldwide earthquake effect. It would have been horrendous. But it says, on that day, God caused the whole earth to shake. The sun darkened. The fountains raged. Lightning flashed. Thunder roared as never before. But the sons of man remained obstinate. When the, when the flood began to rage, 700,000 men surrounded the ark and begged Noah to let them in. 700,000. So ladies and gentlemen, we're not talking here about a few people banging on a, on a wooden door and saying, help, let, let us in, let us in. We're talking about hundreds of thousands. That's the point. Have you not all rebelled against God and said he does not exist? Noah said to them, that is why God is now destroying you, just as I've been warning you for the last 120 years. 
and you would not heed the call. Yet now you desire to be spared. So Noah is saying, look, I've, I've, I've been telling you for 120 years this is going to happen. We repent now, they cry. Only open the door of your ark for us. Now that you're in trouble, you finally agree to repent. Why did you not repent these last 120 years, which were extended to you just for that very purpose? Now that you are beset with problems, you finally come. But it's too late. God will not hearken to you. You are doomed, and your pleas are of no avail, Noach said to them. So these people, hundreds of thousands of them, tried to forcibly enter the ark to escape the rains. But the ark was surrounded by wild animals who drove them away. And, of course, they met their death. Now, this is exactly, of course, a quote from the book of uh, Sefer HaYashar, where it's talking about that God surrounded the... Um, the ark with lions and tigers and bears and other wild beasts to prevent these people from destroying uh, the ark. You know, it goes on to say, because in that instance, we're talking about, you know, Noah is saying to them, listen, I gave you 120 years. That was in that, that, of course, is God's grace. God gave mankind 120 years to make tshuva. He's telling them, make tshuva, make tshuva, make tshuva. Now, listen, ladies and gentlemen, Sometimes we look at these things, we listen to these stories, and we think, what's wrong with these people? Why didn't they listen? Ladies and gentlemen, why don't we listen? There are people that you, you, we talk to, there's ourselves, let's throw ourselves, and we say people, let's include ourselves. Why don't we listen? Why don't we heed? You know, the sages tell us if we're going through difficult times and struggles, then, then that is heaven's way of, of, of telling us you need to make teshuva. Why don't we enter the ark? Why don't we enter the word? Why do we ignore it? Why do we say, well, I, I went through a difficult time, but you know what it is? I, it's just, it's the natural course of things. I got sick, It's you know, and the reason I got sick is because I was at I was at uh, the grocery store and and I, I caught a, sil a sickness from somebody. But in, why don't we say Hashem brought this illness upon me so that I could refine myself, or this struggle, or I, I'm going through a challenge at work, I'm going through a challenge in my relationship, my children are, are are providing me a challenge here. Why don't we take a step back and say, you know, Hashem, you're trying to get my attention? But instead, we, we relegate it to the natural course of things. Why? Because that prevents us from taking responsibility, which is something we desperately don't want to do. We want to blame something else or someone else, but definitely not ourselves. And that's exactly what the sages say we're not supposed to do. We're supposed to assume that every affliction we go through in life is heaven trying to get our attention. So when we read these stories and we think, what was wrong with them that they didn't repent after 120 years? Ladies and gentlemen, what's wrong with us? 
What's wrong with us? Today, if you hear, hear his voice, harden not your hearts as you did at the waters of Meribah. Now, the people that were at the waters of Meribah, ladies and gentlemen, were the people who had already been set free from Egypt, had already walked through the Dead Sea, excuse me, the Red Sea on dry land. They were the, already the people who had the cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night. These weren't people who were just like, you know, ignorant of God's ways. The waters of Meribah were supposed to be a test for people to refine themselves. And there is such thing as, because you might be asking yourself, well, but Rabbi, I mean, I've made Teshuvah, I've made Teshuvah. Uh, why would God bring this affliction upon me? I, 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 whatever this is you're going through. Why would he bring this affliction on me? I, I can't think of anything. Well, two th answers to that. Number one, a lot of times God needs us to make Teshuvah on our Teshuvah. That is a legitimate concept within Judaism. We need to refine that which we've already begun to work on. So our, sometimes it's just teshuvah on top of teshuvah. And the other thing is, sometimes there is a, there may not be, it's possible, that there may not be anything for which we need to really make teshuvah for. In other words, we're, we're being, we haven't committed any, any sin or anything. But Hashem is using this situation to elevate and refine us. In either case, it is a mistake to just relegate it to uh, natural causes. Hashem, we should look at everything. Why, why should we look at everything like that, like that? Because Hashem literally controls every single thing, period. This is why when I started out this broadcast, I told the story of our rabbi talking about the man who said, when I go, when I wake up in the morning, I ask Hashem to save me. When I go to bed at night, I thank God for saving me. And somebody said, how do you know it was Hashem? Because he's the only one I asked. In other words, he's the only one who has control. No one else can save you. No one else can, your boss can't save you. Your mommy and daddy can't save you. Your husband or your wife can't save you. Your education can't save you. Your skill can't save you. Nothing can save you except Hashem. He's the only one who can save you. And so if we're going to enter in to the ark, we have to enter into the word. We have to enter into Mashiach because he is the only one who can save. End of our Aliyah today. Think good, ladies and gentlemen, and it will be good. Todah for joining me. I pray that we will be able to be back tomorrow for the fourth Aliyah. Remember to give your tithes and offerings, for those of you who are members of Lapid Judaism, to Sar Shalom Synagogue and or Lapid. The, uh, the uh, links, or the, excuse me, the text uh, numbers to give are here in the uh, description of this broadcast, as is... The portal, if you want to go online and do that way. Or if you want to call the office and talk to someone live, you can call and talk to Keturah. And she will be happy to assist you with that. Most importantly, we need everybody to help us keep the fires burning, keep the torch lit, keep the word going out. Many, many, many people are grasping hold of it. So thank you so much for being a part of it. God bless you. Look forward to seeing you tomorrow. May Hashem rescue you today. And be sure to thank him for his rescue when you go to sleep tonight. Shalom Aleichem, everybody. Look forward to seeing you tomorrow.